Well, good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. Good morning. Such a joy to see all of you today. Let's start with a word of prayer together. Dear God, we thank you that we don't just have a church, we have a church family. God, we have this family only because we're all united by our faith and our walk with you through your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your precious son. There's no greater gift that we could ever ask for, and yet that's what you've given us. Dear God, by your spirit today, enable us to understand what it is you have to say to us today. Dear Lord, please speak through me, God. We thank you for your precious word. It's a lamp for our feet. It's a light for our fat. It's a light for our path. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 18. So Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Well, we're now in the third week of our series on the book of Philippians. And we're calling that series Reasons to Rejoice. And we're calling it Reasons to Rejoice because the book of Philippians is a collection of reasons that Paul gives us that we have to rejoice. You know, the first week we looked at the fact that we have a reason to rejoice because in Jesus, God has given us a fellow community of believers. And last week we looked how we can rejoice because God has a plan. But today we're talking about how we can rejoice because we have purpose. We have a purpose, which is sometimes hard to believe in life. But the Bible tells us that it's true. And now, when we look at Paul, as I've said during this series, when we see him in prison, we see him doing what he's writing about. He's rejoicing. And when we look at Paul rejoicing in the very worst of circumstances, we say, how could he possibly rejoice while he's going through that? You know, when people in our society, go to prison, it's because they've been sentenced to prison. In Paul's society, if you went to prison, it's because you were waiting to be sentenced. So as Paul sat in prison, the question was, am I going to be executed or am I going to be released? We don't get 
prison for life. We get prison for a decision on if we're going to die or if we're going to live. So Paul should be miserable, and yet Paul is rejoicing. And why is Paul rejoicing? Well, one of the reasons that he's rejoicing, as I mentioned earlier, is because Paul knew that he had a purpose. Paul knew that his life had purpose. There's a German philosopher, at least there was in the 1800s, named Friedrich Nietzsche. Now, Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, he put it this way. He said, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. And Paul had a why to live for, but Paul's why was a little bit different than everybody else's why. Because Friedrich Nietzsche said, if you have a why to live for, you can bear with almost any how. And yet, do you notice that Paul isn't just bearing with any how? He isn't just surviving anyhow. He's thriving in anyhow. In other words, the world has a lot of different whys to live for, but none of those whys are as great as Paul's why. And because Paul had the greatest why to live for, the greatest purpose to live for, he didn't just have to make it through his suffering. He could celebrate even when he was suffering. Now, that's why he was in prison, because they said, we're tired of your why. We're tired of your purpose, Paul. Our how is going to beat the why out of you. And yet the fact that he was still celebrating and rejoicing in prison showed that his why was greater than their how. Now, we have the same why. We have the same purpose that Paul did. Did you know that? We have the same why. And yet, if I was to ask a group of Christians... What's your purpose for being alive? Why are you here? Do you know a lot of them couldn't answer that question? They'd say, well, I'm not really sure why I'm here. I'm not really sure what my purpose is. The good news is that in our passage today, Paul tells us what our why is. Paul shows us that like him, we can rejoice in anything we go through when we know what our why is. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at our purpose and how that affects our lives and how it causes us to rejoice like Paul. So what does Paul show us about our purpose in our passage today? Well, the first thing he says is we live on purpose. He says we live on purpose. And typically when we go through a passage together, I like to work from the beginning to the end. But today, I'm going to have a skip to the middle of the passage. Because in verses 14 through the beginning of verse 16, I believe that's where Paul shows us what our purpose is. So the first thing I want us to do is to see what our purpose is before we talk about how it affects the rest of our lives. Now, look at verse 14. Paul says to the Philippians, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. That sounds like a random thing for Paul to say, right? Why would Paul randomly say, do everything without arguing or grumbling? Well, because obviously it must be something that they as a church were struggling with. Now look, the Philippians were an exemplary church. The Philippians partnered with Paul financially. The Philippians were doing a great job, but we have to realize and understand there's no such thing as a perfect church. Because a church is made up of what? imperfect people. 
So Paul, even though he commends them and he thanks God for them and tells them all the good things that they're doing, he still helps them find ways that they can grow as a church. And the reason that he tells them to stop arguing with each other is because most likely they're dealing with factions in their church. They're dealing with divisions in their church. Now, he doesn't outright say that in this chapter, but in chapter 4, he puts it this way. He says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 2, he pleads with two women in the church to stop fighting, to put their differences aside and come together. So we can see that as great of a church as the Philippians had, they still had some difficulties with coming together and finding unity with each other. Now, the Philippians, the reason why I tell you this is the Philippians had a purpose. Paul didn't say, once you stop fighting, you'll have a purpose. No, he's saying, you already have a purpose. But as long as you're arguing and as long as you're grumbling among each other, you will not live on purpose. You see the difference? You can have a purpose, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're living on purpose. Now, what is their purpose is the question. Well, look at verse 15. What does Paul say in verse 15? He says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. What is their purpose? What is our purpose? To shine in the world like stars in the sky. To be in a dark world. To be in a warped and crooked generation. And yet to shine the light out of us that God has put into us. And did Paul just make that up on the spot? No. Paul knew that as long as God has had a people, that has always been their purpose, to shine. Think about what God told Abraham when he told him that he was going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the shore. What did God tell him about his people that he would bring about through Abraham? In Genesis chapter 22, God told Abraham, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So part of the reason God wants to have a people is to bless everybody else in the world. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 46, verse 9, what does God say about his people? He says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Now we know the Philippians, the majority of them were Gentiles. But they were included into God's people because as Hebrews tells us and as Galatians tells us, what matters is faith. And faith makes you a child of Abraham. And faith makes you part of the people of God. And part of the reason God has a people is so that they can shine to the rest of the world. And that was Israel's vocation, to shine so that the rest of the world could come to know who God is through them. And yet, they were marked not by shining. Instead, they were marked by what? Arguing and grumbling. And when Jesus, the Son of God, came down to his people, what did he find his people doing? Arguing and grumbling. 
living selfishly for themselves, refusing to shine their light for the rest of the world to see. It's not that they didn't have a light. It's that they were hiding their light. And how are they hiding their light? Through arguing and through grumbling, through living for themselves and letting that be their purpose. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. He said, you, talking to God's people, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? That they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus said, you have a light. You are a light. And yet, when the rest of the world looks at you, they don't see anything different from what they are. They're a warped and crooked generation, but that's what they see when they look at you. Why? Because you're a light that's hiding under a bowl. So, of course, I had to bring with me a light, and I had to bring with me a bowl. And Virgil, if you wouldn't mind turning the lights off, here we have a light, and of course, they wouldn't have flashlights. They would have candles. But Jesus said, nobody lights a light and puts it under a bowl. Why not? Because... And nobody could see the light. Now, my question to you is, is there a light under there? Yes, there is a light. Just because you're not shining on purpose doesn't mean you don't have a light. But Paul says, and Jesus says, they can't see your light as long as you're hiding your light under your selfishness, as long as you're hiding your light under arguing and grumbling and complaining against each other. Jesus says, remove that. Paul says, remove that, and then your light will shine. Sorry about your eyes. Shining my light at your eyes. But you get the point that Jesus wants us to remove what's hiding our light because he wants us to live on purpose so that the world can see our light and see where that light came from. And the question, the age-old question that we ask is, well, Jesus why didn't you just take me up to heaven as soon as I became a believer? How come when I put my faith in Jesus, he didn't just bring me up to be with him? How come Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he didn't say, all right, disciples, you're coming with me. We told them. He said, I want you to be my witnesses. Paul, we saw earlier in chapter one, he said to live is Christ. In other words, why did God leave us here? To be that light that I showed you. God knows the world I've created, because of sin, it's a dark place. But I want you, my people, to shine your light on purpose so that other people can come to me and have the same purpose. Now, let's say that I left that light on. Let's say I left that bowl on that light. And let's say we finished the service and we all went out and we got lunch and what would you say about that light being under that bowl? What would you say about a, a flashlight being on under a bowl? You would probably say, wow, what a waste. What a waste of a perfectly good flashlight. And you know, what a waste of good batteries. Because they wouldn't have had batteries, but their candle would certainly only have a limited amount of time to shine. That flashlight only has a limited amount of time to shine before the batteries go out. What is Paul saying? 
He's saying, don't waste your light. Don't waste your batteries. You have a light. Don't waste it. Shine it. And you can only shine it if you shine it on purpose. So we have a light and we shine it on purpose. But also Paul tells us about our purpose in verses 12 through 13. He says, we live not just on purpose, but we live in purpose. Now in verse 12, Paul says something that has confused Christians for a long time. In verse 12, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, we talked a little while ago about what the fear of the Lord is. One way we can translate this verse is continue to work out your salvation with reverence and awe. But when we read this verse, we're confused because we say, I thought salvation was a free gift given only by grace, not earned by works. And yet here's Paul saying, continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Is Paul saying that I have to work for my salvation and I have to earn it? No, that's not what Paul is saying here. Work out your salvation is different than work for your salvation. You know, if I said, I'm going to go work out my muscles, I'm not saying I'm going to go work for my muscles. What I'm saying is that I have muscles and I'm going to do some maintenance work on what I already have. So Paul says, you have salvation. But remember, Paul is not with them at the moment. Now, in Acts 16, we learn that Paul helped to start this church. And through the Bible, we learn that there's been multiple occasions that he's been with the Philippians. But what does he say? He says, as you have obeyed in my presence and also much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. In other words, don't just do this when I'm around. Continue this all the time, even when I'm gone, because I won't be here forever. Your salvation is something that you will need to work out in your lives. And it's not just something, when when we talk about working our salvation out into our lives, what he's saying is work it out into every part of your life. Timothy Keller puts it this way. He says, whatever salvation is, the spiritual gift of grace is not something you just clutch or hold on to, but it's something you have to work out into every part of your life. You have to work it out into your identity, into your psychology, into your sociology, your relationships, your approach to the world, into everything. That's how we change. That's how we become new. Work out your salvation into every part of your life. That's what Paul is saying, not work for it, but work it into. Do you see why we need to not just live out a purpose, but we need to live in a purpose? In other words, what I'm trying to say is that if we neglect what God is doing in us, then we will neglect what God wants to do through us. Do you see that? That's what Paul is saying. I love the way that C.S. Lewis illustrates it. This is, to me, just an amazing illustration. C.S. Lewis, he said, the Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self changed into a Christ self. And this process goes on very far inside. One's most private wishes, one's point of view, are the things that have to be changed. That's why, listen to this, that's why unbelievers complain that Christianity is a very selfish religion. 
Isn't it very selfish, even morbid, they say, to be always bothering about the inside of your own soul instead of thinking of humanity? C.S. Lewis says, now what would an NCO say to a soldier who had a dirty rifle and when told to clean it, replied, but Sergeant, isn't it very selfish, even morbid, to be always bothering about the inside of your own rifle instead of thinking of the United Nations? Well, C.S. Lewis says, we needn't bother about what that NCO would actually say. You see the point. The man is not going to be of much use to the United Nations if his rifle isn't fit to shoot quickly. In the same way, people who are still acting from their old natural selves won't do much real permanent good to other people. You know, we have a purpose to shine our light out into the world. But Paul says, if you're going to shine that light into the world, you need to live in that light yourself. You need to work on your own salvation. Grow in it. And only when you do that will you be able to live out the purpose God has given to you. Imagine a couple who just got married. And this couple, they say, well, I'm glad we're married, but... You know, I don't want our marriage to be selfish. I don't want it to be just for us. I want it to have purpose. What can the purpose of our marriage be? And what if they decided, hey, the purpose of our marriage, we could open up our house and we could have family come over. We could be a place that people in our church can stay over. Yeah, that's the purpose of our marriage, to be hospitable. That would be great. That would be a great purpose. But what if that couple never worked on their own marriage. You know, people would go to their house, they would stay over, and yet they would hear arguing. The husband would be grumbling about the wife. The wife would be grumbling about the husband. How hospitable do you think they would be if they did not work on their own marriage? They wouldn't be able to live on purpose, hospitality, because they wouldn't be living in purpose, their marriage. In order to live out their purpose, they need to live in a purpose. They need to work on their marriage. And Paul says, we have a purpose to share our salvation, but not at the expense of working out our own salvation into our lives, in every part of our lives. And what does this look like practically for us? Well, think about Exodus chapter 34, when Moses came down with the law. Remember the first time he came down with the Ten Commandments, he saw the Israelites dancing and worshiping the golden calf, and he threw down the tablets, and they broke and they shattered. But the second time he went up, he spent how long? Forty days in the presence of the Lord. And it says when he came down from the mountain, his face was shining and it was radiant, and the people were scared. And so the people were scared, and Moses put a veil over his face when he was with them so that his face wouldn't shine on them. And when he went to talk to the Lord and receive his commandments, his face shined because he took the bell off. And what does that tell us? You can only shine out what is shined in. And what does that mean for us? It means that as you spend time reading scripture, spending time with God, praying to God, spending time with believers, encouraging each other, growing with each other, what is it going to do? what's going to cause your face to shine. Because you shine out what gets shined in 
to you. And people are going to look at you, and what are they going to see? They're going to see a shining face, and they're going to say, well, I don't know what caused his or her face to shine like that, but I want my face to shine like that. You can only live out your purpose when you live in your purpose. But we don't just live out a purpose, and we don't just live in a purpose, we live for a purpose. Now, we see this in verses 16 through 18, and what I specifically want you to look at right now is verse 17. In verse 17, Paul says, But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Now, Paul, what was he talking about here? He said, I'm being poured out on the service and sacrifice of your faith. What is he talking about? Well, we have to understand that in the temple, there were daily sacrifices that included a lamb being sacrificed on the altar and a drink offering being poured out on the same altar. And what was going on there? There was a sacrifice. And Paul said, when I look at myself and when I look at you and what you're doing for your faith, how you're suffering for your faith and how I'm suffering for your faith, it's all worth it because we're suffering for a purpose. We're shining for a purpose. And Paul says, when we do that, it's going to be a sacrifice. It's going to be a sacrifice because when we shine our light out into the world, the world isn't always going to like that. And the world is going to try and try to turn your light off by turning you off. And Paul says, yes, the world is trying to turn our life off, to shut off our light. But Paul says, we're a sacrifice. We have a purpose. And the enemy wants to make you think that the very worst thing that could happen to you as a believer is to sacrifice for your faith, to suffer for your faith. And that's what the enemy wanted the Philippians to think. The very worst thing that could happen to you as a believer is to suffer for your faith. But Paul said, no, that's actually not the very worst thing that could happen to you as a believer. Paul is someone who has suffered for his faith, but he says, that's not the worst thing that could happen to you as a believer. What is? Well, let me tell you a story. When I was in high school, when I was a senior in high school, I was on the varsity football team. Now, I hesitate to tell you this story because... I would like for you to think I was good at football. And I like to think I was good at football. But uh, according to the coaches, in uh, my spot on the depth chart, I probably wasn't as good as I thought I was. And I have to admit today, I didn't start for the football team. I'd like to come up here and tell you I broke all kinds of high school football records. But no, typically on Friday night, I was watching the game from the sideline like everybody else in the stands. And I watched the game from the sideline, but I still wore the same uniform. So when we won, I won. When I went into the locker room with the team, after we won, the team would do what? They would celebrate. They would get excited. The coaches would tell us how proud they were of us. It was such an exciting moment to be in the locker room after a win. And yet, I didn't feel like I could participate in that celebration. Why? Because I didn't feel like I was part of the victory. I didn't feel like I was a part of what happened. 
Now keep this in mind. After the game, the people celebrating, my teammates celebrating, were hobbling around. They had bruises. They might have had like a crutch under their arm. And yet, did that keep them from celebrating? No. The people who were hurting and injured were celebrating more than me, the person with no sweat on their body, the person with no injury or no bruises on their body. Why? Why is it that the comfortable person wasn't able to celebrate like the hurting and injured people? Because the injuries and the hurts had all been done for a purpose. It was all done as a sacrifice for something greater than just themselves. And Paul says at the ending of verse 16, he says, And then, when you shine like stars in the sky, I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Do you know what Paul is saying here? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying when Jesus comes back and we're celebrating the victory as a team in the locker room, so to say, I hope I don't look at you Philippians and see that you stood on the sideline the entire time. I hope I don't look at you and say, wow, you had a precious gift, you had a purpose, and yet you were so afraid of pain and suffering that you refused to get into the game. Paul says, no, if we're going to live for a purpose, it will require us to put ourselves out there to where we could suffer and hurt for our faith. And as I said earlier, the enemy wants us to think the very worst thing that can happen to you as a believer is to suffer for your faith. But Paul says, no, the very worst thing that could happen to you as a believer is to not participate in your faith, to hold out on your team, to stay on the sideline. That's the worst thing that could happen to you as a believer. That's the worst thing that could happen to you. Yes, you're a part of the winning team. You can celebrate. But don't you want to say, I got to participate and there's people around me celebrating because I shined my light? Do you want to be with the people who said, I was totally comfortable. I don't have any bruises, but I never lived for a purpose. My coaches, when I was in football, they would say something like, leave it all out on the field, whether we were practicing or whether we had a game. They'd say, leave it all out on the field. And do you see that that's what Paul is saying in this passage? Leave it all out on the field. Or as Paul was saying, leave it all out on the altar. When people see a sacrifice, if we were to take people uh, in America back in time to witness a sacrifice in the temple those thousands of years ago, what would they say? What would we say if we went into that temple? Well, we would be inclined to say, oh man, what, what a waste. What a waste of a perfectly good lamb. What a waste of a perfectly perfectly good drink. And yet when Paul saw a sacrifice, he didn't see a waste. Do you know what he saw? Worship. Paul saw worship. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul said, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. This is how you worship. How? By giving all of yourself to God. By giving everything you have 
to God. And when you give yourself as a sacrifice to God, when you lay yourself down on the altar, it's scary. And we see the knife coming down and we say, I'm scared to hurt. I'm scared to be stabbed by that knife. And yet Paul says, it's not a waste. Giving all of yourself up to God as a sacrifice is your spiritual act of worship. It's how you let God know that you're everything to me when you give all of yourself to him. And when people see us doing that, when people see us giving all of ourselves to God, do you know what they will see? Worship. So what does that mean for you? Don't stay on the sideline. You are here for a purpose. Now, when we look at Paul and we see that he devoted all of himself to his purpose, we ask the question, what gave Paul the motivation to do that? I mean, how could Paul, it's one thing to say, I'm giving all of myself to Jesus, but Paul actually gave all of himself to Jesus. And we see him doing that for his faith. In that prison, we say, what gave Paul the motivation to do that? Well, think about this. The night before Jesus was crucified, what did he do with his disciples? He celebrated Passover. And when he celebrated Passover with them, what did he say? In Matthew 26, 26 through 28, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is what? Poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, when he did this, he was saying, You need a sacrifice. You need a drink offering. And I'm giving my body to be broken as your sacrifice. I'm giving my blood to be poured out as your drink offering. I'm making the sacrifice that you can't make. I'm pouring out the drink that you can't pour out. Why? So that you can be saved. So that you can have salvation. As Paul talked about, work out your salvation. But the only reason we can have salvation, we can have deliverance, is because Jesus gave us his body. Gave us his blood. And do you see why Paul then could do what he did? Paul could pour all of himself out because he knew that for him, Jesus poured all of himself out. In other words, we can pour all of ourselves out for Jesus because Jesus poured all of himself out for us. And when you realize that, when you realize that that's how much you're worth, to Jesus, that he would pour all of himself out for you, even if you were the only person in the world. Remember what he said, the shepherd leaves the 99 found sheep to go after the one lost sheep. Even if you're the only one in the world, Jesus would still pour all of himself out for you. When Paul realized that, what did it do in him? It created a light in him. Paul was like this, but when he realized what Jesus has done for him, he was like this. He only had this because he knew what had been done for him. He knew how much God had poured himself out simply to be with him forever. 
and it created a bright shining light in him and it creates a bright shining light in you when you're saved, when you know that, when you're part of God's people. And only when Paul could see that his purpose was to shine that light out into the world could he say, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. But how do I know that we have the same purpose that Paul did? Well, because look what he said in verse 18. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. You too. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are amazed that you have given us a purpose, a reason to live. The reason we're here is to point to Jesus to shine our lights. And God, I pray that we would not hide our lights and sit under a comfortable bowl, but be willing, be willing to face suffering by taking that bowl off and shining for the rest of the world to see it. And God, it'll be totally worth it even if just one person comes to know you because we shined our light. God, we live in purpose. We live on purpose and we live for a purpose, but all of that comes out of your purpose for us. And God, I pray that today we would be intentional about shining our light. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that we have a light to begin with. We only have that light because you created that light in us through giving us the light of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.